Welcome. This is the Life Habits podcast series, and my name is Carl Vredenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 112, and the topic for today is Career Transitions Part 2. So part one, we were introduced to two wonderful human beings, Renee Albert and Herman Calhoun, uh, who talked about their early lives and their educational history and the pivots that they went through with regard to all of that and a lot of the insights that they got from it as well. And for this episode, we want to pick up where we left off. And we want to, this time, get into the topic of the professional career development and any pivots that our guests went through there as well. So let me, first of all, welcome Renee. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Good to be back. And welcome Herman. Hi, Carl. Great to be back. Thank you for having us. Well, I'm so excited to get on to this phase because we talked earlier, like I said, about the early career that you're in, that you've gone through. And I think both of you have some wonderful stories about your professional career journey as well. Let's start with Renee. Tell us where your professional career journey started. Yeah, thanks, Carl. So I would say that my professional career journey really started when I moved into my position um, at the University of Washington. You know, my, my career path has really been a unique one. It's been a circuitous route, you know, and I, I always kind of had this idea that, you know, careers are supposed to follow this path. You know, you've got like high school and then college and the job and promotion and then career promotion, career retire, you know, but it, but it really doesn't go like that. It was, it just was kind of, kind of this, this really interesting journey. And so when I was working at the university of Washington and um, within the department of epidemiology and then biostatistics, you know, it was really a wonderful experience. I was working with really great minds. They were doing really amazing work. And there I was really fortunate to, combine this love of education and and working in an educational environment with my love of design and bringing that element into it as well. And and one thing I really, I really started to hone uh, my craft there was with my writing, you know, and it, it was a really wonderful job. I, you know, and I, I, it was just one of those things where I just started to see where my my skill set was blossoming. You know, I was always very um, exceptionally organized. I was just really good at managing projects and really good at communications. And and when I say communications, I'm talking like in the broad definition of communications, you know, design was, was there. It was always a part of what I did, you know, working as an academic advisor, it was doing a lot of work with the students, which, which of course is something that I love, but I also got to tap into that creative side and I got to design newsletters and help build out the websites. And it was, it was a really wonderful and amazing experience. And like I said, that was really where I started to see certain skills in myself that were, that were coming out and where I, I wanted to see myself focus. So when I relocated to North Carolina and I started working at UNC Charlotte, that's where I decided to get a master's degree and I was looking around and, and I knew, you know, again, with the, these organizational skills and, and project skills that I had, I, I leaned into project management and really focused on business. And, and that was a, that was a big departure from design. But at the time I will say that I 
felt that projects and and working in in that sort of field was just where I was driven to go. And for me, it it was just it just seemed like a sensible decision. <laughs> and and I and I really wanted to pivot into the private sector from, you know, get out of the public sector and move into the private sector. And so really I leaned into having that degree and took my time and and was able to locate a job in the private sector. And that was really, really great. I was working as a contractor for uh, a financial company and it was it was amazing. I was working in global information security and and in that role, again, design reared itself. I was working in projects, but I was also responsible for creating all of the presentations and really taking information and distilling it down into visuals. And so that that element of design is something that's always just sort of followed me throughout my career. And so I was I was fortunate to be able to to marry those business skills with those design skills and and hone that uh, while I was while I was working for that company. But you know, it was it was a time of you know, working for a company where I was, I was contracting and, you know, it just wasn't something I wanted to to do forever. So again, I just started looking around and wanted to get into, again, seeking a position within the private sector. And, and I came across IBM and I was just so fortunate to land this amazing job as a senior writer. Um, and, and I was really fortunate, I, I will say, because I, I had, the luxury of time. I was I was super selective, and and I and for me that was really helpful because I knew that the next step that I took, I really wanted to dive into, um, you know, really charting that pathway towards a career, and I really was very specific about the things I that I was looking for in a role. And for me, writing was a huge piece of that. I wanted to keep that, that projects aspect. I wanted to really dive into my writing and, and really kind of tap into that side of me that was, you know, really energizing. So I got into IBM and in that role as, as a writer uh, working with sales teams, it was really a cool position (laughs) because I had the fortunate, you know, that I, I was very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to work across all of these different business units, you know, at the time we were, we were very global in terms of how we were working with our teams uh, within, within the organization. And so I got to work across all different lines of business. I got to get exposed to a lot of different business products. And during that time, I was working with the design team. So we were working in tandem to create, you know, artifacts for for the various projects that we were working on. And so I was again really in touch in in tune with the designers. And what was really cool about that was with my design background, you know, I could visualize an idea and I could like speak the language of design and, you know, sketch something out on paper and they would like see it, you know, for what it was. So it was it was just a really fun creative role to be in. And so as I was working through that that's where I started to get exposed to design thinking and really diving into the design thinking community. I, you know, did a lot of volunteering within the community and just really dove in and and learned a lot about design at IBM. And I was fortunate really to 
connect with this amazing community that we have here and really hone my craft, continue to to grow and, and develop. You know, I, I became very, you know, skilled at, at the ways of working and design at IBM and got, ex, you know, got exposed to projects like the, the Racial Equity and Design Initiative and being a part of that leadership team. So it was really a an experience that was instrumental in me focusing kind of coming back around and fo- refocusing <laughs> on design again because I was working uh, as I was saying as a senior writer and so then when an opportunity came around to join the design org I you know it was an opportunity for me to get in there and just really immerse myself into the community it was it was just a wonderful experience and it's you know helped me blossom and grow as a designer as as an educator as a business person i'm just really fortunate to be within this company and you know be able to flex all of those different muscles and 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 be able to showcase the, all of those different skills what a fascinating jury. Thanks so much for taking us through the last numbers of years in terms of your your professional career. Over to you, Herman. Oh, excellent question, Carl. Um, uh, you know, I can say my my trajectory is definitely winding. I think I touched in last time about my education and the, the fact that I went to a university where we had a co-op program. And so I come out of a, out of a technical background in engineering. So I'm a professional engineer. At the University of Waterloo, where I did my undergrad, I I had opportunities to participate in their co-op program. Actually, the, the entire engineering program is co-op based. And so the one thing I do cherish about having a co-op program and participating in that is that you get to try out a number of things that and career paths and jobs and interests that you might not normally have had exposed to you. And, and therefore... I think the most important thing I, I really learned during that time was not necessarily what I wanted to do, but what I didn't want to do. And that's important in, as important in, in, in you know, designing your own career as well as designing your life um, is understanding what what your interests are and what your what your uh, disinterests are as well. But, uh, you know, moving moving from uh, my program when I graduated, uh, I looked at a lot of mechanical engineering opportunities that were out there and I you know because of my experience I I knew that I didn't want to be in that area and so I ended up um, attending a program at University of Toronto while I attended there uh, a number of the sponsoring companies that worked with us uh, for my for my master's program and our projects they hired me so I've had experience working with the Department of Defense um, where that was my my first foray into, you know, what is it about humans that we need to design us as a part of the system, which is human factors, right? So my first taste of human factors, that's actually what I attended uh, the University of Toronto to do was to focus on the industrial side of mechanical industrial engineering in the area of human factors. And in our particular lab, we were looking at uh, how we could control things. And so that led to my internship with the Department of Defense. And I learned how to, how, what, what the human's role in, the, in the, the system of controlling unmanned aerial vehicles, right? So, so that was the challenge that I was presented with. 
And I also worked with Spar Aerospace. That, that That's what the company was called at the time. They've been bought out and I think their names changed several times, but this is essentially the company that's made the Canada arm, the, the robotic arm on the space station and the space shuttle. So I worked with them for uh, a number of months it might have even gone into years actually while I did uh, while I uh, worked on my my master's thesis, and this was really around the subject of my thesis. It was really understanding how people perceived their alignment with the world and how they could control things in the world. And this really keys on designing for the human being in that we have perception, and the way we perceive things impacts the way we do things and in this case it's it's like i liken it to kind of the case where you have a, a remote controlled car i think it, many people have had this experience where you you drive the car away from you and left is right right is left but then you turn it around and you drive it back to you and you need to make a quick adjustment and your your mind has to do those mental ac acrobatics right so that was kind of the topic of how we can control things in space and, and kind of uh, understand uh the human factor in the system I have a lot of experience after after graduating. I worked with Honeywell um, when I I was uh, first a research engineer there, um, working again in, in human factors, looking at how uh, we control things and and what our what our role in those systems are. But then I ended up being a uh, having a, the opportunity to become a my my first director type role, voice of the customer, and understanding how our our customers would like to use and control business facilities. And so it was it was these experiences that I had that kind of, you know, infused in me the fact that I wanted to become a designer. And start that was the beginning of birthing my my journey into design, a transition from engineering design to human-centered design. Right. And so I started working on user interfaces in several accounts um, in, in the industries of insurance and finances and and all, all of that. And then I, I came to a point in my life where I found myself without a job. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, it happens to the best of us. Uh, and I was in the transition of moving back to Toronto from the States. I worked at Honeywell in the States. I moved back to Toronto. And I took on a job here in the area and four months into it, the company went under. So um, that's just life. That's how, it's how it happens sometimes. And I found myself in the position of saying, well, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna jump back into the workforce? Uh, I did take on the opportunity to create a business of my own. So with my design skills, I said, what is needed out there what 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 is the human need out there and i was particularly interested in an experience i had actually i went over to a friend's house and he had a he had a very complex audio visual system right the tv the amplifiers the surround sound speakers etc and it was in that moment that i said to myself i'm an engineer and i don't know how to turn on your tv <laughs> Right. So if you can imagine that there was a very intrinsic design problem staring me right in the face. And so I actually started a company around looking at how we could create a um, a, a um, activity based remote control. Right. Something you're something you're 
grandmother could use, even your mother, even me as an engineer, right? So um, we looked at how, how we might be able to do that. Activity-based remotes were not a thing. Moded remotes were a thing. And if, you, if you're into human-centered design, you know moding is not the best design uh, method because uh, you have to switch people's thoughts from I'm controlling now the TV or I'm controlling this other device or I'm controlling device C. That was my first endeavor into entrepreneurship, but also de- applying my sensibility and design thinking to attack the problem and creating a solution. Um, so we ended up going into uh, home theater, home electronics, home systems, uh, design and installation. And uh, eventually I ended up designing a system that went into the uh, point of sale areas of Sony, of the Sony stores across Canada. All I had all of them contracted. What, what we really were delivering was the experience of the tech, the, the installer, the tech installer to the salesperson who was actually delivering that packaged experience to the customer, right? So the, the, tech, the tech installer has all this knowledge about installations. The salesperson doesn't necessarily have that, that information. And so we, we created a web-based system that kind of took them through, that, through the process of how you, you uh, what kinds of questions to ask the customer and how to ensure that they have the best experience once they've actually sold, sold the, the product. So that was a, that's a history that I had uh, before my time at IBM. And eventually I, I wound down that business. The Sony stores went out of business as well. I think you noticed that the, the, we no longer have Sony stores in Canada. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, the in, industries are always changing and we always have to pivot, right? So this is, this is an excellent thing to, to understand. And as long as you have strong skills, and focus on your skills. My skills were in design. So I focused on those skills. And when I went back into industry, I ended up working with a, a company called Platform Computing. And I immediately became their uh, their principal user experience engineer. And then I eventually became their global design lead. Uh, and that was a company that was based in, in, in high performance computing and, and the early architectures for cloud computing. And I worked there for about two years, I think. And I helped to revamp the face of our, of not only our products, but we had even a, a brand exercise where we rebranded the company. And little did I know that we were doing this with the intent of the company being purchased. And guess who bought the company? IBM. <laughs> so that's how I became an, an IBMer. Uh, and uh, it was, it's been a great 2000. Nine, 2012, I was part of Platform. 2012 till today, I've been with IBM. So that's that's my journey as a designer in this area. I stayed with the the business unit, which was became Spectrum Computing, and again working with our flagship products, developing the developing um, enterprise design thinking and introducing it to our our business. As that was the that's when enterprise design thinking was being birthed at IBM. And we really started uh, spreading and preaching the word of enterprise design thinking all over. And so introducing it to my business unit was was a was a key part of my job, as well as applying it to all our products, our product guidelines, working with the carbon design language and helping develop that as we, we brought in 
uh, design elements from the needs of all the business units around the company. And so that was a that was a great time in, in, in IBM. It was a great time to be a designer here, truly. And that's uh, I think we we all remember parts of that journey here. And uh, and I think it it took us from one stage to another. So I worked with high performance computing. Then I moved into AI design uh, with our with with a business unit that was called Cognitive Systems at the time. I worked with a, uh, I served on the leadership team for, for the design organization with over 25 designers worldwide. And we were collectively responsible for those IBM cognitive systems offerings and the, the AI offerings, which we actually did a pretty large study across 70, 65 plus cross-discipline stakeholders, um, which uh, enabled us to actually define the 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 go to go to market sales enablement that we were going to do around our product that was called a WMLA which was Watson Machine Learning Accelerator at the time so that that's that tells you some of the start, the starting nuggets of of how we got to where we are it was really the merger between what I was doing with with spectrum with spectrum computing and and all the work that we were doing around high performance computing platforms and uh, putting servers together and having them act as massive, massive uh, supercomputers per se, and then have it ha- using that technology to actually execute AI models, and 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 that was my first foray into design with AI, and that was that's been an exciting journey, and then I had an opportunity come upon me, <laughs> the opportunity was that I was able to switch, and transition to an area that's always been an area of interest to me, quantum computing. Um, and I spent a year's time in quantum and developing how we could make our systems available through our IBM cloud and what that looked like. This was all very, very new work, hadn't been done. It, we we were, uh, we were the, the first people, the pioneers of, of merging this technology with our IBM cloud. And so the user experience was was critical and understanding how cloud developers think and understanding how traditional developers think and understanding how well, how do we merge this world where nobody really understands quantum computing and how do we make it so that people can be productive with it. And, and spending a year time there and all of that time uh, ahead of that with IBM, um, I, was, I was essentially uh, put in the position to to be nominated to become a design principal, and that was in itself an intense process. I remember it vividly. <laughs> um, uh, imagine imagine defending your dissertation at uh, maybe maybe uh, times ten. <laughs> um, so it consists of, of both what I like into the defense of my experience of a de- as a designer, uh, defense of my corporate impact as a designer and my eminence um, within IBM and outside of IBM as a designer. And uh, so there's an actual nomination document that I had to put together for that, a package. And the other part of that package consisted of visually representing uh, what was not always visual design work at all times, right? So I had to figure out how to put that all together, defend my nomination in a portfolio format, uh, which is really 
a, an exercise in communications design more than anything. Uh, but the, the hardest part was the subject matter was me. And so it's not, that's not always easy to talk about yourself, but in, in this world where, where really um, we are what we have to offer, um, we have to learn how to market ourselves. And so this was a, a great experience in, in terms of doing that, as well as accelerating my career. I love both of your stories of your career trajectories. And I wanted to actually follow up, Renee, you mentioned the term racial equity and design. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is, what your involvement with it was, and, and also then over to Herman after that, because I know he's been involved in that as well and, and, and get his uh, perspective on this as well. So Renee? The Racial Equity and Design Initiative was birthed after the incident with George Floyd, and it was really an opportunity for uh, the community, the IBM community, to come together and just start having a dialogue around, you know, these really hard social issues that we were that we were dealing with, um, you know, the racism and the, you know, the fear and the anger and, and just a lot of angst and anxiety that was happening in, in the country at the time. And so the initiative itself, I was very fortunate um, to be a part of that initial coming together of of the leadership team and my role on there was was twofold actually so i came in um primarily as a writer to help uh you know fortify and, and write up the content for the website and some various other materials but then i was also involved in a project a work stream project where we were looking at having it was about the the language, um, you know, formulating a new language, right? And having conversations around these hard topics. And so we came together as as a team and and looked at what are some of these issues that are happening? What's happening? And and what are what are these conversations that that need to be had? And what are the circumstances that we can create so people can feel comfortable? expressing themselves and bringing their authentic selves to work. And so it was it was a really interesting process coming together and and figuring out exactly what this was going to look like. We went through a lot of different um really it was a design thinking process, right? We we went through a lot of different ideas and scenarios and and looked at, you know, we we sat down as a group and 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 talked amongst ourselves, uh, you know, and had hard conversations amongst ourselves. And really what it came down to was ultimately we we created the racial equity and designed the, the field guide. And the field guide really is a, a way for managers and leaders to help guide these complicated conversations that that may come up on their teams. And we really addressed a lot of very interesting and sensitive topics. We talked about microaggressions. We talked about, you know, a lot of different things. And how can you as as a manager, as a leader, as an individual, I mean, it's really a, a field guide for everyone. How can you come together and and talk about these things in a way that that promotes and 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 in a way that 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 promotes authenticity, but it also gives you that sense of safety and having that bubble of safety that that sometimes isn't always 
apparent, visible, or there at in, in the work environment, uh, you know, quite frankly. It was it was a really wonderful experience. Herman was was a part of the of that field guide experience. It was really a a, a time for us to create something that was helpful in like I said, just promoting these these wonderful um, authentic conversations that that we that we need to have in order to feel safe and to feel like ourselves in in the workplace. I've personally found that field guide to be immensely useful. It's a real how to or people like me. And so I, I, I've internalized a lot of the lessons in there. And I want to just mention too, it's it's still available on our, our website. So ibm.com slash design, you can go directly there. But Herman, over to you. You were heavily involved in this overall initiative as well. I was. And actually, because of this, this whole initiative, uh, I, call, I the, one of the things I walked away with was a connection with people, you know, um, Renee being one of them uh, on the on the new language team. Um, that's where I first met Renee. Uh, but it was, it's really, we got to think of these names, George Floyd, Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, um, those names resonate with pretty much all the people in the world at one point or another. And it was at that time when Nigel Prentice approached me about joining the leadership team for, for this IBM initiative. And, um, he was launching it and then we wanted to respond to the to the ripples created in our lives by by these tragedies and and what we were being asked to do wasn't necessarily concrete there there really was no script to 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 respond to this and i have the unique position of being the only canadian on the team and so you know if you if you think of the cultural issues that are that we're experiencing, the challenges, the social justice issues, they really see no no borders, mm-hmm. right? So we do see them here in Canada, we see them in the states, and we see them around the world. But bringing it back to working with the team, I felt a little bit out of out of place because I I didn't know if the team understood the experiences that we shared and experiences that were a little different. I joined a, a, a few work streams, the new language team being one of them, which eventually led to the field guide, which is an excellent piece of work that Renee helped lead. But I struggled to find my role and what that could be. And I struggled with everyone's understanding of my experience as a as a, as a Black person as well, uh, a Black IBMer. And I, I just kind of kind of lean into my superpower as a UX user experience researcher, uh, user experience designer. And that's the co- that's the common thread we had together. We were all designers within IBM. And so we were already part of one family, even though we had never met each other probably as a whole. But that brought us together and that helped us find our pace and our cadence and, and our rhythm. Um, and it was in particular when we had a, we were doing a user research study around the Black IBMer and what the Black IBMer experience would be. That my, one of my teammates had like kind of hit a snag on, on what was the foundational research we ha- we needed to perform, and that's where I said, "Hey, I can help. I can help out." And uh, so I stepped up to 
some drive some of the research as it as it was a skill that I built through a, a combination of my education and human factors, you know, the first principles of of experimental design and experimental research, and then merging that with my experience with, you know, as a designer with data visualization and developing my skills in enterprise design thinking, I synthesized a, a set of user interviews uh, and interview data um, that I collected executing, uh, you know, on a research plan with, with a number of different IBMers, not just black IBMers, not just white IBMers, but also, you know, uh, non persons of color, designers of color, right? DLCs. <laughs> um, and uh, we we use tools like our our empathy map and we came up with new ways of interpreting it and, and combining things to create a heat map of, you know, what are common experiences across all the, all, all the designers at IBM? And then what, what are the unique experiences for say the black designers and the designers of color, et cetera. And it helped us to pinpoint like cause and effect pain points over a career journey. And that's where, where we really were able to, to make some impact as, as a company, because we were able to then uh, scale the empathy and awareness around these artifacts that we created. And uh, I remember presenting it to the IBM design leaders at the design leaders summit in late 2020 early 2021 recording it as well and i had a number of ibmers come to me and say you know what they watched they watched this and they all pulled out something different that stood out to them about something that about a culture that they didn't know and they didn't understand the impacts and they didn't understand how one thing one thing would cause another uh, thing later down as we trickled down our career journeys and how it impacted our experiences and it's not that everyone had an absolutely different experience because a lot of the a lot of the kickback was, you know, some of our, our experiences, well, yeah, you have that experience, I have that experience too. Right. So it was like, really, is there really a problem here? But then when we showed, we were able to show things like, well, there's impacts on frequency of the occurrence. Why is one group seeing it more frequently than another? Right. And that was something that we needed to be able to communicate a number of times that a negative outcome might be experienced and it would be greater with the black employee. Right. So we debunked the the belief that the experience was was not unique mm -hmm. uh, and they were uh, not unique as as many pain points were experienced by all communities. But the disparity is that disparity it, 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 the greatest was in frequency of the pain points and the undesirable outcomes. So I found my space. I contributed uh, by offering uh, that concept. And it, we kind of called it kind of like a speculative roadmap for, for what we were doing in terms of understanding the different experiences of the different designers within the company. It was a phenomenal initiative and both of you contributed significantly to it. It still lives on in me in terms of what all you've provided. You know, we've been having such a great conversation about your career journeys, both of you talking to about your racial equity and design initiative. And we always have so much more to talk about. I'd really like to also explore what you do in addition to your day job at work and so I think we're going to do a part three of this overall series of interviews with the two of you. 
So we'll wrap it up for now. Thanks so much for your time again. Thanks for everybody else that's been listening. And we'll talk to you all next time. And bye for now.